Hello. Welcome back. Welcome to our second episode of Tacos and Tequila. I'm Peyton. I'm Sydney. And we have another uh, doozy of a case to start off our uh, podcast series here. A doozy of a day. So we're talking about the Burger Chef murders. It starts off in Speedway, Indiana, which might be something that some of you racing fans know. Um, home of the Indianapolis Motor Speedway, a.k.a. the Indy 500. Burger Chef interesting not a fast food place that we hear about today um but was the original hardy's hardy's bought burger chef in 1981 but one of the things that burger chef is remembered by are these burger chef murders uh the night is november 17th 1978 it's a friday Um, Typically, our fast food restaurants have those young employees. And some point between 11 p.m., which is closing time, at midnight, four of those employees disappear. The assistant manager, Jane Freet, 20 years old. An employee, Daniel Davis, 16 years old. An employee, Mark Flemons, 16 years old. And employee Ruth Allen Shelton, 18 years old. A fellow employee stops by around midnight and the place is empty. The safe's open and a back door is slightly opened. But these employees are nowhere to be found. Um, The police come by the next day. They find empty bank bags and an empty adhesive tape next to the open safe. But nobody's anywhere to be found. Um, The police investigate this further, find out that there's $581 that's missing in 1978 cash, which equals out to about $2,436.96 in 2021. But they don't believe that it's a robbery because that's just petty cash, which I don't really see how that's petty cash. I feel like that's a lot of money. I mean, I think they, the notes like and everything I read, it said... It wasn't, like, a small amount of money by any means back then, but it was still considered, like, petty theft. Mm-hmm. So they didn't really consider a robbery. Which is interesting. I mean, any amount yeah. of money, I think, would be considered a robbery, obviously. But, like, wh- how, what's the... So if it would have been $3,000, that's not petty anymore? I don't know what the... What's the line? It becomes grand theft instead of petty theft. Mm -hmm. Once it's worth more than $950. Okay. Just $581 in their time. But that's still, I don't know. Yeah. And I don't know when that law changed. So it could have been more. Or, I mean, less at that time. Like, it could have been lower. Interesting. So the police shrug that off. They don't think it's a robbery. They just think, oh, these are a bunch of kids. They just went out to go party. They took the money. Maybe they're going to go buy themselves some drugs. They're going to go party and drink. Anything of that situation. Um, But the two female employees left their purses there. And all the employees left their jackets there. 
And this is November in Indiana. We're in the Midwest. It gets a little chilly pretty early, I feel like. I mean, I don't know the weather that night, but oh, I yeah. doubt that it I'm was I'm thinking, like, like mid-November, you definitely need some sort of jacket, especially mm-hmm. when it's after dark. It's, like, extra chilly. You don't even have the comfort of the sun. I mean, you're in Wisconsin. I'm in Michigan. I know at that point, we're usually putting on jackets. Yeah, I would definitely, you know, you really got to be We probably have snow by then. (laughs) I'm not going anywhere without the jacket unless I'm forced. So the police come. They don't see any sign of a struggle. They just leave it expecting, oh, these kids will just show up later today. Maybe they just didn't want to work. Whatever. So 24 hours passes and they're still gone. Jane's Chevy Vega is found parked in the middle of town. The car looks to be abandoned, so the police now are starting to consider, okay, maybe these kids did get kidnapped or something went wrong. So, Sunday, two days later, November 19th, 20 miles from the Burger Chef location, a couple finds the four missing deceased in the woods. They're still in their work uniforms. Ruth Ellen Shelton and Daniel Davis are both shot execution style, laying face down. Jane is stabbed twice in the chest, and the knife is broken off in her chest. And Mark Flemons suffocates on his own blood after being left on his back. Which is also interesting to note that he probably could have survived this if he wasn't left on his back. He did have, I think it was, massive blunt force trauma from possibly a chain, but if he wasn't left gargling his blood i mean he could have been a witness to say who did these this crime yeah it's a lot of people have speculated that Mm -hmm. he could have survived and identified people as potentially he just wasn't left in that position Mm -hmm. so there's no weapons found at the scene but come to find out you know this is two two days after well, I guess the police technically investigated that Saturday at the Burger Chef location. But they didn't thoroughly investigate the scene. Instead, they told the other employees, oh, you can reopen Saturday the next day. Then when they decided that they, oh, we don't really have any evidence here. We should probably go back and check this. It's now the realization we opened the store, which is now contaminated by not only the employees, but also the customers that next day. The police photos that they had taken turned out to not match the time of day and the locations didn't match. Come to find out that these were actually staged photos. Which is wild. Mm-hmm. And I think everything I read, like they openly admitted that later on when mm-hmm. other investigators called them out. Which is really interesting that it was kind of like, oh yeah, we did that. Like... <laughs> talk about unethical police work yeah I have a lot of thoughts on how they messed up this investigation from the very beginning with their preconceived notions let's hear it what else you got well I was just gonna say you know a lot of articles I read they kind of assume that these police officers looking at like the age group and you know this is a menial job of fast food worker that Mm -hmm fast food workers that they just oh they just took the money they're probably out 
partying. They'll be back eventually. Like, no need to investigate. And potentially that's, like, the reason they didn't even assume anything went bad um, right away. And, I mean, there could have been fibers. There could have been hairs. There could have been fingerprints lifted. Anything. And when the employees showed up for, like, Saturday morning and, like, the store manager, they were like, oh, no, it's fine. Um, They wiped down everything, uh, took out all the garbage and cleaned up. And anything that they could have potentially had was just shot. And then I also saw some things about the crime scene itself as well. The crime scene wasn't closed off properly. Uh, or where the bodies were found, sorry. They, there were like, there's talks and rumors that one of the bodies was moved prior to the coroner arriving. Um, Several agencies were on site when the bodies were found or like all kind of convulsion the area. They said that there were some even driving through some of the areas that should have been taped off, which is really crazy to me. Um, they mishandled the uniforms the employees were found in, so potential evidence on the uniforms was lost at that point. And one detective even took home two pieces of identification for one of the victims that they found <laughs> in his coat pocket and did not realize until two weeks later. Jeez. So, lots of thoughts. I don't think this uh, police department's ever denied that they mishandled it. I think they knew mm-hmm. probably within the first couple days or weeks of this all unfolding that they messed up. Yeah, and definitely, I mean, 1978 was not the year for Speedway. Um, they were kind of shook by some other crimes, too, which I don't know necessarily they handled those the best either. Um, there was a 65-year-old Julia Cypers, and she was murdered in her garage. And then there was a soda can bomber that was thought to be connected to these murders, but they were just ended up being connected to each other. So they were, like, associating all of these crimes with one another. Come to find out only two of them were attached to each other and that was like their main focus for x amount of time yeah because i think even they said her murder and like the bombers they couldn't determine if they were all linked or like the bombing cases were linked but at that time they were unsolved so i think they immediately were like oh this is a mass amount of crime we're starting to see all within a short period of time this was like very this was like the year it started hitting the city pretty hard. Exactly. And it's extremely interesting because it's like, I don't feel like any of those things besides, I mean, a 65 year old being murdered in a garage. But what does a soda can bomber have to do with Burger Chef? Why did you think that those two were associated? I don't know. Well, I didn't really have any clear evidence related to, to link the, the murder of the 65-year-old woman. The, yeah, they had some sort of association. But I don't know where they thought the Burger Chef connection came in. I have no idea. And it's I have like, some other thoughts when we get to our potential leads. Because mm-hmm. I found some interesting stuff last minute that I tried to dig further and couldn't find a lot of stuff on. But I think it's important to mention. I do have a fun fact here, too. This was kind of like a very crazy case, but it never got nationwide coverage. 
it might just sound like, oh, 1978, whatever. Um, the reason it never got coverage because is on Sunday, November 18th, 1978, when the bodies were found. This is the day when the Jonestown massacre happened. More than 900 people, including Jim Jones himself, all died. And that's the oh only my. thing that was ran on nationwide news. Because that it all makes sense. Wild. It all makes sense. And that's interesting, too, because there's so many cases out there like that where something happened in the background or something else happened on that same day or the same weekend. And it just gets thrown. Oh, there's some tiny yeah, article overshadowed. there. Overshadowed. Mm-hmm. And it's interesting because, like, so, I mean, I know I only know about Burger Chef because there used to be a Burger Chef, like, in our town when my mom was a kid. And she always, like, rants and raves about it randomly. And I'm just like, I have no idea what that is. <laughs> So, but I guess that, like, even other people know, like, remember Burger Chef because of this murder. Like, not necessarily, it's something that stuck with it. Yeah, so, and, like, something I had read was super interesting that Burger Chef was already kind of at a little bit of its decline. I think they started closing some of their stores at this point when this case happened. Mm -hmm. And then they firmly believe, like, this case sealed the deal because apparently Burger Chef is an Indianapolis-based company. Oh, okay. So that's kind of where they had uh, their headquarters were and everything. And after that, it just fizzled out. I do think it's interesting. Burger Chef, like, the the company itself posted a $25,000 reward for information leading to an arrest. Wanted to make their name look good. Yeah, and um, that money was never claimed. Hmm. So, to continue on, um, (laughs) it appears to be a dead end um, until a witness comes forward saying that they saw a car with two men in it just before the restaurant had closed. One man has has a beard and one is a clean shaven with fair hair. This kind of gets them their sketches. They have their police sketches that they're able to release and kind of get these people out there. Which then brings us into the havoc that we find. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Weeks later, there's a man in a bar in Greenwood, which, um, fun fact, I have family that lives lives in Greenwood, Indiana. Really? Um, I do. I have an aunt and uncle that live there. Okay. Yeah. Um, he brags that he's involved in these killings, but he passes a polygraph, gives some more names of people, matching descriptions, and just kind of gets let off from there. Yeah, they really have no mention of him after that. <laughs> Nothing. One of... Okay, so this is something that really grinds my gears. All right, let's um, hear it. <laughs> well, so I saw that one of the men looked like a decent decent amount of like the sketch and another mm-hmm. article said while they were like looking for the man that they thought was named or something like that, they had seen this guy. I think he was one of the guys the guy <laughs> it, it gets so confusing following these leads because there's so many names. But the guy at the bar in Greenwood Yes. I'm pretty sure this is one of the names he gave was a man that looked like the sketch of the guy with the beard. 
So they go to bring him up for bring him in for a lineup. Well, the night before they brought him in for a lineup, this man shaves his beard. Mm-hmm. I found in several articles this man had had this beard for like more than five years. So that's interesting and like a red flag in my eyes. Um, and they did the lineup, and the witness could not identify him without the beard. So they released him. <laughs> Talk about like a catfish. You you get rid of your beard, and nobody recognizes you. Yes, and so. <laughs> This is where it gets really interesting to me about why the police's theory immediately of just going to kids going to party is like, it gets really interesting to me and very, I guess, mind boggling because one of the other men, the guy at a bar in Greenwood's name, um, he was actually neighbors with the guy who shaved his beard. Uh, he didn't match the description, I don't think. From what I could understand, but he consequently went to prison for strong arm robberies committed with a shotgun, which was not related to this case at all, which is like very interesting to me. Yeah, that is. And then I saw there was like another name by the guy from the bar, somewhat fit the description of the fair haired suspect. From that like first witness in the sketches who was later imprisoned for other armed robberies of fast food restaurants in the area outside of town not in speedway unrelated to this case and they've never found any connections to this case that sounds like a connection right there <laughs> right like it's very but if there's like other cases going on, I don't know if this took place afterwards or he started committing those robberies afterwards. I don't know. It okay. was like eventually he was later imprisoned for fast food robberies. But it made me feel like, okay, so this is not the first time that a fast food joint in like the suburbs of Indianapolis yeah. have happened in the short period of time. It might have not been in the city of Speedway, but I definitely found that very interesting. That's extremely interesting. Especially that they have no... I don't know. Nothing makes sense to me anymore. Nothing makes sense. Oh, no. And I have lots of notes of going down a rabbit hole of theories. (laughs) Because my favorite thing is finding some sort of rabbit hole to fall into. And um, I found it. So (laughs) I'll let you talk about the next theory you have found. (laughs) Well, so the next um, lead that comes about is in 1984, they get a call from an inmate at Pendleton Correctional, and a David Forrester basically confesses his involvement. He says that he was there that night, and he provides some pretty depth, in-depth reasoning or of what happened. So... He confesses to shooting Davis and Shelton. He leads the police to the crime scene. He explains that there is an altercation with yes, Mark, with, right? Yes. So he says that there's an altercation with Mark. Mark intervenes. He accidentally hits his head. And basically that leads them to kidnap the others. Which 
would make sense as well because Mark got quite a beating. And so a lot of people have suspected that Mark got this beating because he tried to be a hero of the group of some sort. It would also make sense based on, like, the position he was in. Because, I mean, Mark would have been the one who possibly survived if he didn't basically suffocate on his own blood. So, I mean, if he hits his head and, like, gets a pretty bad beating and then they just leave him and are like, all right, we got to kill the other ones now. I feel like it would kind of fit. Like, he was already, like, knocked unconscious. It would kind of fit if they didn't go back and fully finish him off it was just like by chance yeah um and just to before you continue on the theory just Mm -hmm. one little interesting note um I had found another article kind of talking about like the parents and what they had gone through a little bit you know in those 48 hours or so well I guess less than 48 hours 36 or so until the bodies were found and Mark's father in an interview talked about how he just kept replaying, especially like after Mark was found too, uh, a conversation he had had with Mark a few weeks prior to this, which is kind of eerie in my mind. Cause I, but I guess I have conversations kind of like this all the time. So then if something happened, you'd be like, what are the odds? But the odds are pretty great. Cause I talk about stuff like this. That'd be the, the one thing you would think about. <laughs> right. But, um, they had been watching TV, and I guess there was a kidnapping that had taken place on the show or whatever they had been watching. And he had told his dad specifically if he ever was kidnapped, he wouldn't just lie in wait. Uh, he would escape. He'd move as fast as he could to make himself a harder target to hit, which is, like, another big reason people think Mark was probably trying to be the hero. Which is very sad because he was so young. He was 16. That's super sad. And even sadder that like a conversation like that comes up like so soon. Sorry, I had to interrupt there with that. No, Um, I I think that was a good spot. Forrester and his confession. (laughs) Yes. So he kind of has a lot of these grim details. He brings the police directly to the location where this had happened. He provides very specific details to the authorities. Um, He knows that the knife used to kill Jane had lost its handle. And this is kind of like making them think, okay, wait, these are details that haven't been released to the press yet. These are things that only those who would have either been involved or been at the location would know. Yeah. Then when they talk to his ex-wife and she says that he had taken her to the location and had picked up some 38 shell casings and returns which, them to. The, oh, sorry. I was going to say, which I did find 38 caliber gun was the gun used to kill Ruth Allen and Daniel. So that's either a very interesting coincidence or right. But so she is taken to this location. He goes and picks up these 38 shell casings, 
And he returns to their home and flushes them down the toilet. So please check this out. The former home ends up having a septic system, but it's now owned by someone else. So they're able to issue a warrant to get into the septic tank and basically dig through to get these 38 shell casings. And sure as shit, they're there. Sure as shit. (laughs) Get it? Septic tank. Gross. Septic system. (laughs) Um, And they find these shell casings, which is insane. I mean, not like we thought she was lying, but like, what are the chances that... Right. There's this connection. So that comes out. He's only telling basically what he wants to. And then everything basically just gets turned upside down. So about eight years to the day after the murders, there's someone inside of the police force that leaks this information. And Forrester basically stops cooperating. Um, The police say that they're close to... They're basically close to finding someone and making an arrest. So he immediately takes back his confession and he refuses to speak any further. And then he dies in prison in 2006 and nothing else comes of it. Which when I originally was looking into this, I thought, well, like, crap, this guy did it. Mm -hmm. And then I had found this very long insider article with, one of the detectives who um, he was on the original case. He wasn't one of the first on the scene when the bodies were found and he wasn't at the burger chef, but he did. He was a state trooper who proceeded to work this case, even when it was like everyone else wasn't, he proceeded to work this case all the way up to his retirement. And even throughout his retirement, he's been like interviewing with podcasters and news outlets and, documentarians and he's just still trying to get this case out there and get nationwide coverage hoping that it gets solved um one thing he had talked about in that article was that I guess there were like actually a lot of flaws in his story and when we like talk about it there's so many details that weren't released to the public so like how would he know that so I don't know how I feel about this and I'm sure we'll talk at the end who we think might be suspects or whatever, but um, I guess, like, even one of the accomplices he claimed, like, helped him was actually locked up in Minnesota at the time. So, like, that's a big red flag right there. Like, this guy's probably lying to us. I agree. And I think, you know, you want to believe, okay, there was, you know, that's a very extreme detail. Like, the knife broke off in her chest. But, like, are those also just, like, generic statements that are likely to happen in any type of murder? Were these just guesses? Yeah, or, if like, it might not have been public knowledge. But you gotta think he was in prison at the time. Like, he definitely, he might not have done it, but he might have known who did it. And he might have heard them talking about it. And he was already in there. And he was facing a very long time. It was like rape and kidnapping. Because mm-hmm. him and his cousin had held the girl. And um, taken her. And he was facing a very long time. So they think maybe he was just telling someone else's story. To potentially get time off his sentence. 
Yes, and that's kind of what I, I had read that as well, like that it was either a mixture of trying to get time off his sentence. And I also think that he was soon to be moved into like general population and get moved to a different correctional institute. So he, I mean, I feel like that's what they do. They kind of like to play games like, oh, if I say that I did this, I'm going to be spending time anyway. Maybe I won't have to go deal with all of these inmates or I'll be able to stay here, you know. So, and I do think one interesting piece that I didn't hear you mention that I want to mention because I'm going to talk about a bigger do it part of this is that Forrester had actually claimed that the reason that they had gone to the burger chef in the first place was that Jane's brother, so the assistant manager Jane, her brother James was involved in the local drug trade and owed someone a lot of money. So this person that he owed a lot of money to hired Forrester and his accomplices to go to Burger Chef and scare Jane into getting the debt. And like when all that altercation with Mark happened, that's when they decided they had to take them at that point. Yeah, I think there is definitely a lot of like speculation and theory around James somehow being not necessarily involved, but like the reason why people were going after Jane to scare be- her basically because of her brother and his poor decisions. Yeah. And I guess one of like the big leads or I guess their own sort of rabbit hole they followed was that <laughs> there were, had been rumors that some sort of drug drug ring Mm-hmm. used to be running out of Burger Chef, and it actually shut down its operation a couple months prior to the crime. So they kind of tried to look into this and dig into it, but couldn't really find anything that led anywhere. One thing that happened before Forrester confessed to police, in March of 1981, police arrested James Freed. Jane's brother for attempting to sell cocaine. So three years after the crime, they definitely, I guess he had kind of been a suspect because of that whole drug trade a little, a little bit originally, but they didn't really think that he was involved. He was sent to jail and I guess not long into his sentence and being in jail, he got into a scuffle in the yard with another inmate who kind of made this, like, scuffle. jeering. Yeah, it said scuffle in the article I read. So I was like, scuffle. oh, they fought. <laughs> um, But this guy made, like, a jeering comment to him when he, like, walked away. Like, sorry about your sister. Kind of comment. <laughs> and so um, a prison counselor actually contacted the investigators because he was like, oh, this is interesting. Like, the way he had said it, made it sound like he knew something mm-hmm. so the other man that he got into this little altercation with was alan pruitt so detectives decided they wanted to interview pruitt um and go talk to him who then told them a wild story um very wild he told the detectives that he witnessed Two men abduct the victims in an orange van and James White Vega. Uh, He said he actually was outside of the Dunkin' Donuts, which was next door to Burger Chef. Um, 
I think Dunkin' Donuts is nationwide, right? Everyone knows Dunkin' Donuts? I know Dunkin' Donuts. Okay, cool. cool. <laughs> I know when I lived in Florida, there was Dunkin' Donuts. I think there were some in Texas when I lived there. Don't really okay. remember. It's not like a Tim Hortons, so. <laughs> yeah, um, we don't have Tim Hortons here. Wait, really? No. Mm-mm. You're so close to Canada. <laughs> <laughs> we don't have them here. I don't think there's oh any. I don't know if there's any in Wisconsin. I personally think I prefer, well, I used to prefer, prefer Tim Hortons. It's like a Canada version of Dunkin' Donuts. But <laughs> um, we have a Dunkin' Donuts super close to the house. So now I'll get that sometimes when I want an iced coffee instead. And I think it's actually better. Um, fun, just fun fact. But anyways, the Dunkin' Donuts was next door to the burger chef. And he said he was outside of the Dunkin' Donuts drunk when he saw two men show up in a van and he kind of he was just really like he was just drunk kind of swaying whatever paying attention but not paying attention and he said he saw a bunch of kids kind of come out of the burger chef and get into the van um and he kind of just thought oh they're going to party too and he even saw said he saw one of the men slammed Mark's face into the side of a car. Um, but still don't really think anything of it. The next day, two men in that same orange van had pulled up while he was playing Frisbee outside of the Dairy Queen. I love all these name drops of all these. Who hangs out outside of Dunkin' Donuts and then they hang outside the Dairy Queen? Like, is this just... He just hangs well, outside of the, all the point, fast food like, joints? After 11, when those... It's confirmed at least after 11, Mm -hmm. after they close up the restaurant, that they were taken. So it's very interesting to me because I can't imagine in, like, 78, the Dunkin' Donuts was open at 11. (laughs) No, I think it was probably definitely closed, and he's just loitering around (laughs) outside, just waiting for something to happen. (laughs) This next part is very 1978, though, very on-brand. Um, he was hanging outside of the Dairy Queen playing Frisbee, and two these two men in that same orange van pulled up and asked if he wanted to join them in a joyride and smoke a joint, <laughs> which he happily agreed to and just got in the car with these two men that he didn't know. And uh, he identified them later on to the detectives when he, he was interviewed as Tim Willoughby and Jeff Reed. When he got in the van... He noticed that Marianne Higginbotham, I think I said that last name right, it's very long, um, (laughs) was in the back seat and she seemed out of it. He said she seemed like really high. She was kind of tweaking out a bit. Um, She was Willoughby's girlfriend at the time. And as they keep driving, they're smoking this joint together. And these two men keep bringing up like, the night before and they kind of kept pressing him asking him a lot of questions about what he saw which is kind of when he was like oh they saw me too like kind of not thinking anything of it and that's then Marianne in the back is kind of rambling to him about how these two men killed those four kids from Burger Chef and then kill her to keep her quiet too and Pruitt was really confused because news of these four had not has not been broken that they're missing. So he had no idea that they're missing or anything. 
Um, so you seem, you know, a little confused. <laughs> and then he claims they were kind of driving around up and down these like remote kind of areas, pull over by a creek. I think they said it was called like Devil's Backbone, mm-hmm. kind of right before a bridge by a creek. And everyone kind of got it out. As these two men are getting out of the car and like Marianne and Pruitt are already out, she kind of looks at him and tells him to run. And so he is like freaked out at this point because he's like, what the heck is going on? So he starts running and um, down the embankment of the creek trying to get away. He said he kept running even when he heard a gunshot, eventually wandering back to a road kind of a few hours hours later and hitchhiking back to town very kind of a wild story (laughs) um but there's a reason this seems extremely credible uh at the time when this had all happened and had come forward marianne's dead body was actually found shot and shoved into a barrel i want to say near that devil's backbone area And Willoughby, her boyfriend, had actually never been seen again. So this seemed like a super credible story. But I guess as, like, the decades have gone on, because this was 1978 and we're in 2021, um, he's had a lot of time to change his story. And change his story, he has done. (laughs) He is, at one point in time, like, they finally were like, okay, we're going to take you down to the station and record this. Like, we want this on on record your story that's when he says he basically can't say if he did see Willoughby that night or not um for the first time then as like several interviews keep happening each time he changes it um including most recent one with documentarians and I think 2018 2017 and insider saying he saw a van but any people in the van that he previously mentioned or any suspects at all. And he's even come forward saying him running away while will be shot at him or Reed shot at him is why he literally in an interview said, well, the police just really pissed me off and annoyed me. They kept pressuring me, pressuring me, asking me lots of questions. So finally I just decided to tell them a wild story. See if it would make them happy and leave me alone. Yes, that will make them leave you alone because they're going to want more information and more wild stories from you. That's all it's going to do. There are so many leads that they followed and, like, took so much time. And, like, nothing's ever come up. There's no more, like, credible leads or sources. It's just really mind-blowing to me. Um, I guess in 2018, around the 40th anniversary of the case, police department released never-before-seen, I can't even talk, (laughs) never-before-seen pictures of the knife blade that actually was found in Jane during that autopsy, Mm -hmm. hoping that someone would recognize it and come forward, but nothing came from that either. No, and I mean, 1978 was some time ago, so there's like an off chance that maybe this person's dead Well, yeah, and a lot of the people that have been suspects throughout this time, they are dead now. Forrester, Uh I'm not sure. I think Pruitt is still around, but I don't think that Willoughby or Reed are the men he mentioned. 
So, like, one of the interesting things, too, is the bearded man that shaved off his beard. Yes. Um, (laughs) His son had come forward to the police and basically said right before his father died, he had confided in his son that he had been involved in the murders. Um, But they've never been able to make any connections to that. Honestly, in my personal opinion, I think even if it's 2021 at this point in time, if they would have done a thorough search of the crime scene, this case would be solved. Yeah. And I mean, taking those evidence, you know, taking evidence in general, they might not have had like the items back then to actually sit there and see if this fingerprint matches someone else's or things of that nature. But we have that technology today that if they had anything, we could test those things. We don't have anything from then. Well, and you got to think most of these people that were suspects could have been in the system if they would have gotten some sort of DNA or fibers or fingerprints. Mm -hmm. Fingerprints and DNA would have been in a national database by now that if they were still running and working this cold case which i mean they are it was 2018 40th anniversary and they're still releasing new information which tells me that unfortunately the police botched this investigation and ultimately i think they're the reason this case isn't solved which is really sad don't get me wrong and i'm not blaming anyone because i know it happens (laughs) um i'm sure i mean from everything i read there was no, like, signs of a struggle or anything really like that. It was just the back door had been left open. The cash registers were on the floor. Or, like, mm-hmm. the drawers. Um, and the safe door was open. But they didn't even know the safe door was open at first. I don't know. I did see that the, like, widely accepted theory is that, obviously, the victims were kidnapped during a botched robbery. Mm-hmm. And it's believed that they were kidnapped potentially because one of the victims recognized one of the criminals and they didn't want to be caught. And And they think that maybe when they were like throwing away the garbage at the end of the night, they ambushed them, which is how that door was open. Which is very true. And that was another thing that I had seen somewhere as well. I think that it was Mark Flemons who he wasn't scheduled to work that night. He had picked up someone's shift so there was, like, conspiracy that maybe this was a setup and they were expecting someone else to be there. And then Mark was the one that was there and they were like, oh, crap, he's going to recognize us. And, you know, he wasn't on our list or something of that matter. Yeah, and, like, Mark could have known who they were. Um, it is sad. I did find this last-minute article um, that kind of talked a little bit about the employees, too, and just, like, how they were described. So I always hear podcasters or people on documentaries or anything like that. You know, the important part is remembering the victims too and keeping their story going, which is why it's super important. Um, So just kind of a couple things. Jane was described as a leader with a sense of humor and a heart of gold. Ruth Ellen was described as creative, honest, and kind with love for music. Daniel was described as a talented photographer who made loved ones smile every day. And Mark was described as friendly and selfless with a sense of style. I'm guessing that wasn't from his parents. (laughs) But I do always think it's important to remember the victims, too. 
they were very young and it's super heartbreaking that you know their families never got any sort of justice or answers really they don't know who did it or even why or mm-hmm. really anything is confirmed in this case I had read somewhere too that you know during the time when this was all happening that there were people that were going to Ruth Ellen's family home and were calling the house and like ringing the doorbell in the middle of the night like basically stalking them or harassing them like in their time which is so sad yeah the most vulnerable time where they're trying to get through this they're trying to find their daughter they're trying to find their sister you know things of that nature and they're being harassed yeah and you know they were kids like at the end of the day they're super young they were kids their lives were very like very much cut short and it's so sad that this family who just had to bury their daughter was being harassed who does Mm -hmm. that probably other kids but (laughs) it's messed up messed up kids assholes y'all should be ashamed of yourselves wherever you are Big facts. I hope you feel awful and you <laughs> have a bad haircut for the rest of your life. <laughs> uh, they still they still are rocking the mullet from the 70s. Hey, I mean, the mullet's making its way back around now. Not wrong there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so just, I guess another super interesting case i did you have anything else you wanted to add i think it's heartbreaking it is i mean especially like their ages i mean jane our assistant manager being the oldest at 20 like yeah these are some young kids that have not even lived a chunk of their life i mean have you ever worked at a fast food restaurant i'm uh, not a fast food no so that my first job was actually at a hardy's Um, the burger chef (laughs) yeah so small world um and I was like 15 when I got that job like in the state of Michigan you have to be 16 or 15 with like a parent consent form and my parents were like bye go to work get (laughs) out of here literally like two blocks away from my mom's house so I would I started right before I turned 16 and I would walk to work you know, it's super wild to me listening or like reading and listening to this story and thinking like those kids got taken when they potentially were taking out the garbage. I remember taking out the garbage and closing. I remember working Friday nights and closing up at, you know, 11 o'clock inside and it being dark. <laughs> you have a street light and like lamps in the parking lot, but you're taking the garbage to a corner of the parking lot and a dumpster. You have to like the dumpster's hidden so you have to like open the doors for it so I like vividly remember doing that also I vividly remember the smell of the dumpster and it was really gross but um, do you vividly remember the smell of your clothes coming home and smelling like fast food yeah for like (laughs) a long so my uniform too was I could wear jeans and I only had like two pairs of jeans I would wear to work because I learned very quickly that I would never get that smell out of those jeans again. Um, Literally, like, yeah, I have just go. scars from the fryer machine to prove it too. <laughs> um, 
<laughs> it's also interesting because I mean I wouldn't consider I feel like there's like a handful of jobs that I would consider to be like unsafe you know like nobody wants to work at a gas station you're probably gonna get robbed there nobody wants to work at a bank you're probably gonna get robbed there but like I wouldn't think a fast food job would be like an unsafe job where like my kids should not get a job there there's a chance of yeah. being robbed like who's gonna go to your local Mickey D's and rob them for their dollar menu I mean I guess people- right do it but like it's very far and few in between like well and I never was super worried one I'm not gonna say it wasn't in the best area it was just you had a lot of sketchy characters in the area so like (laughs) you know we had a lot of people that seemed to be high on drugs or drunk um I vividly also remember someone throwing up in the men's restroom sink, which, by the way, does not go down, and us having to <sighs> use our hand, gloved hands to scoop it out, and I literally told them Ew. I would walk out and quit if they were the one, they made me do it, and I threw a temper tantrum, not ashamed, didn't do it, <laughs> someone else had to go do it, because <laughs> I was like, I will walk home right now, I will quit. <laughs> I am not doing that. And you do not pay me Someone enough. come and pick me up. I'm we're just going on a huge tangent here, but um <laughs> but I definitely like remember having people in there that like almost made me feel uncomfortable. Um yeah. you know, like I'm opening a register, they're standing a little too close to me. Um, like if I worked at the register on the end, they could kind of stand like, the counter kind of ended in one spot, and there was, like, an opening, so they could kind of come over a little closer, made you, like, uncomfortable when you'd be opening the register, like, oh, my God, am I going to get robbed, like, but, I mean, that was just the the biggest one I would have would just be people coming in stoned wanting fries or <laughs> chicken tenders, you know what I mean? So, like, you don't think After that hours. it's super, yeah, <laughs> um, so you don't think it's, like, a super dangerous job to have but no it could it, it could be and this is proof that it could be which is really sad you know just definitely I guess always be aware of your surroundings I think that's super important and I'm a firm believer that poor young Mark at 16 definitely was probably trying to like step up and play the hero and not let anything happen for sure and that makes me really sad because ultimately that could have I mean made it worse for them and yeah, I mean, we'll never know probably at this point, but yeah, it could be something that maybe that escalated the situation and that put them into harm's way, I guess. Maybe just give them the money and hide. Yeah. <laughs> Always give them the money. is not worth anyone's life. I'll tell you that. Mm-hmm. Let alone four young, young kids' lives. Most definitely. Um, well, I guess before we go, um, I know you have your little <laughs> tequila jokes. I but, have a joke. Um, any tacos or Mexican food this week? For me? Yeah. Did you have anything good? No. We didn't get any tacos in our home chef this week. <laughs> so what I about have you? Two, two points, actually. So one... Um, this will obviously come out in a few weeks since we're kind of recording before we release, but, or start releasing episodes, but 
Um, shouts out to Taco Bell bringing back the potatoes today. Hey. I DoorDash some Taco Bell <laughs> while I'm working from home. Of no, course you that did. Sounds really lazy. Please don't judge me. I literally am working for like 11 hours glued to my desk to the point where like the bathroom is eight feet away and I'm like, crap, I haven't peed in an hour and I have to go. So... <laughs> Um, DoorDash some Taco Bell and had myself uh, some cheesy fiesta potatoes and a spicy potato taco. And also, we did a little uh, group. It was only like six of us taco night this past weekend. And I made some chicken carnitas. And Whoa. don't worry when uh, I see you and we go on our little trip and we have our taco bar. I'm making them again. <laughs> Thank God. They were bomb. And then I'll let you end the episode with your joke. I just have one because it's just great. Okay. We only need one. Ready? We do only need one. How does Harry Potter order tequila shots? (laughs) How? Patronus! (laughs) Um, That was really great. I'm a fan. I'm going to tell everyone that joke. You have to yell it, though. <laughs> you do have to yell it, because you yell Patronus anyways. Patron us. Oh, Patron us. Well, that's kind of like how they say it, too. Yeah, it is. It is. But it did make I'm me a giggle a lot. <laughs> I'd give it a nine and a half out of ten. Yes. Not, like, rolling on the floor and that thing, but... You get extra, you know, it's very close. I mean, I'm a big Harry Potter fan. Um, I'm sure we'll only at some point have listeners who don't know us personally, (laughs) but um, who hopefully are listening and thinking we're very cheesy, but um, that's fine. Huge Harry Potter fan and nerd over here. So I am cheesy. I live in Wisconsin. (laughs) You're full of all the jokes tonight, huh? Yup. Okay, I need to get well, one of those like voice boxes that I can press the buttons and it like makes noises. People laughing in the background. <laughs> yeah, the audience box. Yeah, we should look into called. that eventually. I think that would be phenomenal. Then people right. can actually laugh at our jokes, and we're not just assuming they're laughing at our jokes. Just us laughing at our jokes. I mean. What else is new for me here? But I think I'm funny, so. (laughs) All right. Stay tuned for more cheesy jokes. Hopefully we didn't scare you away. (laughs) Um, Thanks for listening. And uh, we'll talk to you next time. Bye. Bye. Ha ha ha!